Chapter Five of Short Stories for Colored People, Both Old and Young, by Silas X. Floyd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How to be handsome? Do you want to be handsome? I'll tell you how. First, look well into your health. Eat regularly and simply, and take proper rest in order to be healthy. Do not crowd the stomach. The stomach can no more work all the time, night and day, than a horse. It must have regular rest. The body must have proper rest also. Do not keep late hours. Go to bed early. If you have work which must be done, it is a good deal better to rise early in the morning and do it than it is to sit up late at night and work. Secondly, good teeth are essential to good looks. Brush the teeth regularly with a soft brush morning and night, especially at night. Be sure to go to bed at night with clean teeth. Thirdly, look well into the ventilation of your bedrooms. No one can have a clear skin who breathes bad air. Fresh air is a preventative of a multitude of diseases. Bad air is the cause of a great many premature deaths. Fourthly, cleanliness of the entire body is of vast importance. Someone has said that cleanliness is next to godliness, and someone else has added, and soap is a means of grace. Handsome people not only eat regularly and simply, they do not only sleep regularly and look well to proper ventilation, but handsome people will take regular baths. Fifthly, more than all else, in order to look well, you must wake up in the mind and soul. When the mind is awake, the dull, sleepy look passes away from the eyes. Keep thinking pleasant and noble thoughts. Do not read trashy novels or books. Read books which have something good in them. Talk with people who know something. Be often in the company of those who know more than you do. Hear lectures and sermons and profit by them. If we listen and understand and heed, the mind and soul are awakened. So much the better if the spiritual nature is aroused. Sometimes a plain face is really glorified with the love of God and of man which shines through it. Lastly, keep a strong and vigorous body by taking plenty of wholesome outdoor exercise, and do all the good you can. Why not begin to grow handsome today? Patience Patience is one of the marks of high character. It might well be called the habit of closing the mind against disagreeable and annoying conditions. To acquire this habit so effectually as to hide even from oneself any sense of suffering or offense from contact with such conditions is what the truly cultivated aim at. Life, it is true, is full of trying things, but to let the mind dwell upon them only serves to increase their offense to the feelings or the senses. There are people, of course, who are incapable of self-concentration, and whose imagination, if left free to gad about, seems always to fix upon and exaggerate every element of disturbance. They live in what is called an elementary stage of moral discipline, and are perpetually fretting about things they cannot help. They are never able to shut down the will against any unpleasantness. They permit merely accidental conditions to exercise a kind of tyrannical sway over them, which, if their minds were once bent to the practice of putting up with things, would cease to present any annoyance whatever. 
it is difficult no doubt to acquire this habit but this is what patience means in its highest sense it is spiritual endurance and its chief power consists not so much in adding to the number of our joys as in lessening the number of our sufferings it is therefore a mark of power over oneself and a means of power over others with patience the outward success or failure of a man is a small thing compared with that success which he has achieved within himself and that kind of success the success which enables a man to laugh at failure and rise superior to discouragements and difficulties that kind of success is a means of help and inspiration to all those about him if we consider the works of nature we shall see that nature's most beneficent operations are the results of patience anything which grows must have time and the best things in the world are generally those things which demand the longest time for their growth and development the rank and short-lived weed reaches its full development in the shortest possible time but the oak which is to stand for centuries demands the sunshine and the storm of years before its strength is fully developed now boys and girls one of the hardest demands which nature makes upon people especially upon young people full of strength and energy and ambition is to wait for the results of growth no man becomes instantly strong morally he must grow into strength however great his ambition and his zeal may be no man becomes a scholar in a year it takes time and lots of it no man reaches at a single bound the full development of his whole nature he grows into strength a good soldier cannot be made without war nor can a skillful seaman be made on land so in the race of life we must fight hard for all we get and be patient whatever else may be true or may not be true only patient and continued efforts not hasty efforts lead to success before me lies a block of wood it is full of knots it seems to me i can never split it but i bravely make the attempt the first blow makes a little impression the axe springs back with a bound again and again i strike then a tiny crack appears a few more licks and the block yields i have succeeded can you tell me which blow did the work was it not the first blow and the last and all between you have tried something and failed try again if you fail try once more and on and on keep trying until you win the victory beautiful eyes eyes like the violet in them i see all that is fair that is holy to me eyes that shed fragrance so constant so true pure as a clear drop of morning dew eyes like the violet gently along lead me to vespers to prayer and to song eyes like the violet let me pray live within range of thy glances all day going with the crowd but all the girls went mother i didn't like to be the only one left out besides when i said i wouldn't go they all laughed at me and said that i was a coward it was wednesday morning before school time and anna was dreading to go back to school dreading to meet her teacher the day before a circus had been in town at recess while the children were on the playground 
they heard the noise of the band and one of the girls said let's go and see the parade all right said anna i'll go and ask the teacher if we may no don't ask her she might say no we can get back before the bell rings and she will never know we left the grounds anna and one or two other girls held back they all knew that it was against the rules to go off the playground at recess without permission oh come on come on insisted one of the girls you're afraid you're afraid come on don't be such a coward all the rest are going and so anna went when the girls saw the parade pass one point they wanted to see it once more and away they went through the cross street to get to another corner ahead of the procession school was forgotten and when they did remember recess time was long past and it was too late to go back the next morning as anna stood in the kitchen talking it over with her mother her little heart was very heavy she knew she had done wrong she dreaded to go to school and she was very unhappy perhaps said her mother if you had been brave about not going the other girls would have stayed on the school grounds too or if you had asked the teacher i think she would have let you all go but whether she did or not it is never safe to do a thing just because all the rest do it going with the crowd is not a good plan unless you are sure that the crowd is going in the right direction the only wise thing for you to do is to be sure you are right and then stick to it and never mind what the crowd does i didn't mean to do wrong said anna as the tears started in her eyes i know that my dear said her mother but you were more afraid of being teased than you were of doing wrong i hope you will remember from this day forward that the brave girl is not the girl who dares to do wrong but the brave girl is the one who does what she knows to be right in spite of the taunts and jeers of her playmates what shall i tell my teacher asked anna in a low voice as she dropped her head oh said her mother kissing her you go right straight to your teacher and tell her that you have done wrong and that you are sorry for it ask her to let you say so to the whole school be sure to beg her pardon and promise not to do so again little anna did as her mother told her that afternoon when she came back from school she ran into her mother's arms and said mother i am so happy teacher forgave me and i mean to be good and the smile on anna's face spoke plainly of a happy heart mary and her dolls was there ever a time when the first doll was born was there ever a time when little boys and girls especially little girls did not love dolls and did not have something of that nature to play with it would appear that dolls or playthings somewhat like unto dolls are as old as babies themselves that is to say boys and girls that ever since there have been little children in the world there have been little things for them to play with and i never saw a sane person in my life who regrets that it is so it is not only amusing it is inspiring to see the little children making merry with their dolls and their toy animals and their little express wagons and their wooden guns and their toy steam engines and their whistles and their balloons and their brownies and their jumping jacks and their hobby horses and a hundred and one other things mary had put away her dolls for the night and was cleaning the dollhouse when papa came in 
"'How many doll babies have you now, Mary?' he asked. "'I have five dolls now, Papa,' said Mary. "'But only one is a baby. That is little Flossie. "'Robbie and Nell are three years older now. "'Maddie is two, and Jerusha is one year old. "'Flossie is now the only little baby.' "'The Reverend Dr. Smithson smiled. "'Well,' he said after a time, five dolls make a big family, I think.' "'I don't,' said Mary quickly. "'Rolla Mays has thirteen girls and two boys in her doll family, "'and I haven't but five in all.' "'I shouldn't think,' said Dr. Smithson, "'that Rolla would know what to do with so many.' "'Why, Papa, of course she does.' "'Mary,' said Dr. Smithson, "'looking thoughtfully at his little daughter, "'I have a little girl in my Sunday school class "'who hasn't a single doll.' I thought you might like to give her one of yours. You could spare one, couldn't you? Oh, Papa, I couldn't. Not a one, exclaimed Mary. Not a one, when this poor little girl hasn't any? Oh, Papa, I love my dolls so. How can I give them away? You'd have four left. Wouldn't that be enough? Mary thought a long while before speaking. She looked distressed. Papa, she said at last, "'Mrs. Grant was over here the other day, "'and she said that she wished you and Mama would give me to her "'because she didn't have any little girl of her own. "'You've got five children yourself, Papa, "'but would you give away any of them "'just because you would have four left?' "'Dr. Smithston took his little daughter in his arms and kissed her. "'No, dear,' he said. "'Papa wouldn't give away any one of his children.' "'You may keep all of your dollies, "'and we'll think of some other way to help poor little Hattie.' "'The next morning Mary said, "'Papa, I have thought it all out for Hattie. "'You know I have been saving up a little money "'to buy me a little iron bank, "'but I can wait for that. "'I have saved up fifty cents. "'Don't you think that will be enough "'to buy a nice little dolly for Hattie "'and let me keep my babies?' Dr. Smithson knew that Mary had been long planning for the bank, so he asked, "'Are you quite sure that you want to spend your money in this way?' "'Yes, Papa, I'm very sure,' said Mary with a smile, though there was a hint of sadness in her eyes. Dr. Smithson and Mary bought Hattie a pretty doll. Hattie was overjoyed when she saw it. Mary went back home, glad that her Papa had understood how she loved her dolls, and glad to find that not one of her beloved children was missing. Jakey Tolbert's Playmates "'Well, Johnny, where are you going this morning?' asked Mrs. Jones as her little boy started towards the gate. "'I'm going over to Jakey's, Mama. You know I must go over to Jakey's every day. What do you find at Jakey's to make you so anxious to go over there every day almost before you are out of bed good?' "'Oh, Mama!' "'Jakey has the nicest playmates over to his house you most ever saw.' "'Who else goes over to Jakey's besides you?' asked Mrs. Jones. "'Jakey don't have no regular visitor but me,' said Johnny proudly. "'Me and Jakey is the whole thing.' "'Well, you are saying a good deal for yourself when you say that Jakey has the nicest playmates in the world. Don't you think so?' "'I didn't mean me,' explained Johnny. "'Jakey's playmates ain't folks at all.' "'Jakey's playmates is animals, just animals. "'But I do believe that they got as much sense as some folks I know.' "'What kind of animals?' asked Mrs. Jones, becoming interested. "'Then Johnny went on to explain. 
he said jakey's got chickens and dogs and cats and birds he's got names for all of em and they all know their names and they just run to jakey when he calls them the chicken and birds too will just walk right up and eat out of jakey's hand and his trained dogs and cats are just the funniest things i ever saw his little dog trip can carry a gun and obey the commands carry arms present arms parade rest just like a little soldier one time at a fair he saw trained dogs and horses and elephants and even lions then he decided that he would train some animals himself and mamma he has done well why he's got a cat that can spell some words jakey printed some letters of the alphabet on separate cards and he's got a cat that will pick out the right ones every time one of his little dogs can play the fiddle it may seem strange but he certainly can do it he can hold the fiddle and draw the bow across it just the right way and he can play a little tune jakey calls it a dog tune and i think he ought to know you just ought to see jakey's chickens he's got six of em he calls them and they all come running then he holds out his arm and calls them by name and they will jump up on his little arm one after the other and will sit there until jakey tells them to jump down and jakey is so kind to his two birds that they won't fly away when he lets them out of their cages for a little while he can take them up in his arms and pat them gently and then he puts them down and they will lie still right by jakey until jakey calls them by name and tells them to go into the house that is i mean into their cages by the way mamma i forgot to tell you jakey is getting up an animal show and he says that i am to be his manager he is going to print the cards today he is going to call his circus jakey tolbert's great animal show the greatest show on earth and he's going to make me the manager of his circus won't that be fine you'll come and see it won't you we are going to charge only one cent for you to come in oh it's going to be great and i don't want you to miss it to be sure i'll come said mrs jones tell jakey i'm glad to hear about how much he loves the dumb animals every manly boy ought to love and protect them i tell you said johnny as he hurried out of the gate jakey will fight anybody who halloos at one of his pets or mistreats one in the least he is just as kind to them as he can be don't you forget the show it'll come off next week a valentine party it was one week from st valentine's day and the berry children had already provided a number of the tokens comic and otherwise which they meant to send to their friends jack produced a grotesque and awfully exaggerated caricature of a withered stoop-shouldered old woman with some cruel lines of doggerel printed beneath it i'm going to send this to old mrs gray said jack as he exhibited the comic picture nearly all the children laughed and said that the picture and the words beneath it would just suit the old woman mrs gray was an old poverty-stricken widow woman and many of the children of the little village took delight in playing tricks on her on halloween and valentine nights in this way the children especially the boys had made her life so miserable that the old woman often said that she hated even the sight of a boy in the midst of the merriment over the proposed venture of jack berry it was little lily berry who spoke up saying 
Jack, I tell you what I think. I think we ought to give Miss Gray a genuine surprise next week. She has had so many ups and downs in this life. I really believe that we can give her a little pleasure if we give her a true, true surprise. Of course, all the boys and girls will be invited to join in, but it is not going to be like a regular party, but something like the surprise parties or donation parties that we sometimes give the preacher. We'll just put the things on the doorstep and run, the way we do with the valentines, you know. What do you say to that, Jack, and what do the rest of you think? Very quickly the Berry children agreed with what Lily had said, and immediately they set about planning for the valentine party. The night of February 14th was clear, cold, and moonless. Across the fields in the darkness, a throng of merry young children, with a wagon or two, little goat wagons, piled high with baskets and bundles and wood, slipped silently toward the little house where old Mrs. Gray sat shivering over her scanty fire. A sudden knock on the door aroused Mrs. Gray from her musing. She hobbled painfully to the door. Opening it, she saw by the light of the tallow candle a basket of rosy apples and another of potatoes. Nothing else was in sight. A second knock followed almost as soon as the door had closed on the two baskets which were hurriedly drawn inside. This time a can of kerosene oil held a lonely vigil on the doorstep. "'I haven't had a drop in my lamp for two weeks,' Jack heard the old lady say, as she peered out eagerly into the darkness before closing the door. As she was busy filling her lamp, she was interrupted by a third knock, which resulted in a basket filled with groceries and parcels in all shapes and sizes. Great tears stood in Mrs. Gray's eyes, and a great lump arose in her throat. At last knock, number four, revealed the real St. Valentine, a group of laughing boys and girls, every one of whom carried an armful of pine or oak wood for the stove. "'Where shall we put it?' asked Jack Barry, as eager now to help as he had been the week before to tease. Mrs. Gray was rubbing her eyes, and wondering if she could possibly be awake and in her right mind. "'Wish you many happy returns of Valentine's Day.' said Lily Berry, as she slipped into the withered hand a small purse containing the valentine money of the boys and girls, and before the bewildered woman could say more than a fervent God bless you, her guests had melted away in the darkness, and she was left to weep tears of thankfulness among her new possessions. No Money Down Boys and Girls, I suppose you are familiar with what is known as buying things on the installment plan. You have seen people in your own neighborhood, perhaps in your own homes, buy things that way. Chairs, tables, bedsteads, rugs, pictures, things for the kitchen and things to wear, and many other things are bought that way. Most people think they are getting a great bargain when they are able to buy things by paying a small amount of cash as the first payment, say fifty cents or a dollar, and then pay the balance in small weekly or monthly payments and especially do some of our mothers and fathers think that they are getting a great bargain, if they are able to buy things they want for no money down, and so much a week. In such matters, my dear boys and girls, your parents are making a terrible mistake, and are setting you a wrong example. They lose sight of the fact, 
when they fall into the habit of buying anything and everything on the installment plan or the no-money-down plan, that a day of reckoning is sure to come, that the time comes when they must pay for everything that they have been led into buying. Thoughtful people, wise people, prefer to pay money down when they buy anything, and this habit of paying as they go helps them in at least two ways. First, it saves money in their pockets, and secondly, it keeps them from running in debt. Children, these men who come to your homes with great packs on their backs, always charge you double for whatever they may sell you on the no-money-down plan, no matter what it is. That is why they are willing to make the term so easy, as they say. In the end, they profit by their schemes, and nobody else does profit by their schemes except these peddlers. You ought to avoid them as you would a wild beast. You do not know now, boys and girls, what a terrible thing debt is. I honestly hope that you may never know, and if you will take the advice of older and wiser persons, I am sure you will always be free from the bondage of debt. Not long ago, I saw two women standing at the window of one of these no-money-down or hand-me-down stores. One said to the other, I just believe I'll get me a new cloak this winter. My cloak didn't cost but three dollars, and it is so old and shabby that I am ashamed to wear it in the street. Look at that beauty over there in the corner. Only ten dollars and no money down. Yes, said her companion, but I guess the money will have to come down sometime. Oh, of course, but you know, I won't have to pay it all at once. I could probably get it for fifty cents a week. Well, why don't you just save the fifty cents a week until you have enough to pay cash down for the cloak, and in that way you would save, I am sure, three or four dollars, because you can buy that same cloak for six dollars or seven dollars in cash. Oh, said the woman, I'd never save it as I would if I had the cloak and knew that I just had to pay for it. But Delia, the cloak would not really be yours until you had paid for it and I would feel kind of cheap wearing a cloak that didn't belong to me. If I were you, I would stick to the old cloak until I could pay the money down for a new one. That's what I would do. And that is exactly what anybody should do who wants a new cloak. It is what people should do, no matter what they want. I know a boy fifteen or sixteen years old who had the courage and the manliness and the honesty to wear a very shabby old overcoat all of last winter, rather than buy one on the no-money-down plan. It is always his plan to pay as he goes, and be debtor to no one. I heard the other day of a young fellow who goes two or three blocks out of his way to avoid passing certain stores because he owes the proprietors of those stores money he cannot pay. That boy, I know, is miserable night and day. Mr. Longfellow, in his The Village Blacksmith, tells us that the honest old blacksmith would look the whole world in the face because he did not owe anybody anything. He was out of debt. And, boys and girls, if you are level-headed, you will fight shy of the no-money-down plan. By choosing the money-down plan, you will save yourself respect and your good name. End of chapter 5